to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. You can find this podcast and my writing at Brew Hoop, and you can now also find my writing at Forbes Sports Money. So the Bucks just wrapped up Game 2 uh, over the Detroit Pistons, and they smacked them once again, winning by 21 points. And so the Bucks have now whooped Detroit in the first two games and they brought their average win margin down a bit tonight, but they still have an average win margin of 28 points after these first two games. And the series now heads to Detroit with Milwaukee, obviously up 2-0. So in order to help me break down this great game, at least from a Bucks perspective, I've asked Duncan Smith to join me. Duncan writes about the Detroit Pistons for Forbes Sports Money. He just started there as well. And he used to be the site expert for fan sightings, Pistons Powered. Um, and so you can check him out on Twitter, at Duncan Smith MBA. Let's hop right in. All right, well, I am now joined by Duncan Smith. Duncan, how are you doing after that, that, game, two, that game two loss for the Pistons? Oh, I'm fine. I had fun in the second quarter, and that was more than I hoped for. So I'm I'm great. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad that you're able to join us. Uh, I really appreciate it here. Um, I just want to jump right in. What what is your what's your biggest takeaway from the game two victory for the Bucks? Um, I would say my biggest takeaway is um, pretty much wrapped around uh, Dwayne Casey's lack of adjustments, uh, especially in that third quarter when the Bucks were really taking things over. Um, the, uh, the rotation didn't make a whole lot of sense. Bruce Brown, who was essentially the fire starter in the second quarter, um, he was all over the place. Uh, he was even scoring points, which is a rare thing. Um, he he didn't play in the third quarter, which was really the quarter that, um, that this game was decided. Um, I think that leaving Reggie Jackson on the bench until I think probably the, the final three or four minutes of the game, right around the time that the Pistons decided – you know, the margin is too great. It's time to empty the bench. Um, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. It's, it seemed as though there were stretches where Casey thought he was like holding back a secret weapon in order to unleash later. But like every time he did that, like the, the tide was too great, you know, like he, he outweighed himself in some cases. Um, so I, I think that Casey's rotations and decisions uh, Strategy's rotations were were really puzzling and kind of concerning. Yeah, he came out with a great strategy to begin the game. I thought he, you know, they made the lineup change entering in Luke Kennard in the starting lineup. But then what they really did is they played a lot of small ball and they got up and down in that second quarter when they outscored the Bucks by what twelve points. They really pushed the pace and were flying all over the court. So I thought that was. A great adjustment. Is that something that the Pistons have done a lot of this season? Is play that small ball? Um, to, to some degree, uh, with Blake out of the lineup, it really throws things off. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the reasons that I do hesitate to really throw Casey under the bus because, um, you know, with Blake out of the lineup, there's really you're just picking between a lot of kind of like poor options. Um, so it, it's it's one reason why I'm disappointed but not enraged, I guess, with uh, <laughs> with the adjustments because the options are limited um as, mm-hmm. as far as like pushing the pace that's definitely kind of a, a hallmark of ish smith when he's on the floor mm-hmm. um they the the bench especially if if luke Kennard is not with the bench lineup the bench is um kind of bereft of scoring and shooting um so the way that they can score points is to just like 
turn the ball around and, and get tr- transition baskets as much as possible because in the half court, they're really overmatched against most teams. Um, so that's, that's a big reason I think that things were working in that second quarter. Um, because again, it was, it was not a lineup that was like blessed with a lot of scores and shooters. Um, so th- they were opportunistic. And I think Bruce Brown having, uh, the best quarter of his career was a, a huge part of, of that turnaround in the second quarter. Yeah, I thought that I thought coming into this series, you know, the Pistons they really had a lot slower pace. I think they were like 28th in the NBA in pace or something like that. So I thought slow, yeah. I didn't think that they would try to get out and run with Milwaukee because that's when Milwaukee's at at their best, you know, when they're getting out and running and going back and forth. Um, but also like you were saying like the Pistons were very opportunistic. They forced Milwaukee into a I wouldn't say a bunch of turnovers, but a good amount of turnovers in that first half, and then they were able to score off of those. Um, So I thought that was really important. I thought that Luke Kennard, I've been so impressed with him in these first two games. Is this the best basketball he's played in his short career? It's been some of the best basketball for sure. Um, Since around the middle of January or so, um, he's, he's really... turned a corner, I think. Uh, One of his hallmarks was just being really, really tentative, um, like dribbling out of open shots, dribbling into the, into the painter or like inside the perimeter. And then generally taking like whatever the worst of, of the options available to him were. Um, and it, it was definitely uh, a problem, um, up until around that, that middle of January stretch where I think something clicked for him. Uh, it's around the same time that a lot of things clicked for, for some of these guys. So, uh, it was a formative, a formative time for them for sure. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the, the kind of basketball that we've been seeing him play uh, the last, these last couple of months. Uh, it's much more decisive and aggressive. Um, I, I think that uh, he had um, I think he had an extra level of aggression. His, his rebounding, he had a couple he, like he came out of decent sized crowds of uh, large human beings with rebounds that I didn't keep <laughs> up with uh, a couple times tonight and. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he's, he's not a guy with a whole lot of wingspan, you know? Um, (laughs) so it's, it's definitely something you like to see. And, um, those two guys alone taking like pretty significant steps, uh, in this game particular, um, they, uh, you know, when you're, when you're playing a series against a team like the Bucks, who you're pretty sure this is only going to go one way. Um, it's probably only going to last a certain amount of time that is like predetermined, you know, it's going to be. If it's a gentleman's sweep, I'd be astonished. Um, so, you know, you want to find different things here and there to sort of like key on it. It's like this is this is making this experience worthwhile. This is a, a good thing. And um, and seeing Luke Kennard not be afraid of the moment, um, you know, the score was basically in, in Bucks control most of the game. Uh, but at the same time, like these are the playoffs and uh, he is proving that he's not afraid of the moment. He's not afraid to shoot in the, in the playoffs. And um, I think that that is uh, a, a pretty good thing going forward. You know, next, next year, if they make the playoffs again, he's already going to have this experience under his belt. He's going to, some of that, that uh, possible fear for a young guy is going to be off because he's done it already. 
Yeah, he's been really impressive as far as what I've seen. That rebounding, that stood out to me too. I, I think I remember exactly the one that you're talking about. Yeah, you do. <laughs> he's been really, you know, gritty, just getting in there, playing hard. Like he said, you know, he doesn't have the longest wingspan. He's not the most athletically gifted player out on the court by any means, but he's really just lived up to the moment. That's been, I agree with you, like that's been a huge takeaway. He's averaging 20 points and is eight of 11 from downtown if my math is any good which is you know a pretty good number I mean he was close to a 40 percent three-point shooter in the regular season anyway I believe so um you know he's really been up to it and that's been the one kind of thorn in the Bucks side so far you know Kennard has just been really taking advantage of his opportunity you could say he's grabbing the buck by the antlers if I you know I'll be here all night thanks everyone you could you could say that <laughs> but yeah so he's been he's one guy that has stood out that stood out to me in both of these games um I was there in person on Sunday night and he you know even though the bucks onslaught was going on he just kept hitting shots you know and he's he slowed down a little bit in the second half in that first game but he's just been in there and then he was the change that Dwayne Casey made, you know, inserting him into the starting lineup for this game too. And he didn't disappoint. He lived up to it. And he's kind of, I think that one of the keys to them being able to play small ball is because he stretches the floor and he really pulls a defender all the way out there with him that the Bucks can't ignore. And then that opened up the lane a lot for the Pistons to run their pick and roll tonight, which is something I want to talk to now or talk about now is that pick and roll. I feel like so I didn't watch the Pistons all that often in the regular season, but I felt like they just pick and rolled the Bucks to death, especially in that first half. Um, I know that Drummond especially was used as the ball, guy setting the ball screen and then the roller, and a lot of times he'd set a high ball screen at the three-point line or even higher, and then it'd kind of be like a one-on-two situation because the Bucks send their defender over the screen a lot of times. And so then at that point, either the guy... Reggie Jackson, he did a great job in the first half of hitting those floaters, or even if he missed, Drummond would be there to clean it up or dropping it off to Drummond. They just did a lot of a lot of nice ball screens where it really put put Brooke Lopez, put Brooke, Brooke Lopez or the Bucks big man in a two on one situation, and I felt like that was a big thing. Is that any takeaways or any thoughts on their on the Pistons pick and roll offense tonight? Um. Especially before Blake Griffin uh, came to Detroit, that was really the uh, the primary hallmark uh, of the Pistons' offense. Um, the Pistons would just pick and roll you to death. And um, now with Blake out, it's something they've really got to rely on. Um, so you'll you'll see a lot of that pick and roll. You'll see some dribble handoffs with uh, with Drummond with the ball um, on the on the perimeter. That's something that he really kind of grew into last year. Um, the Pistons replaced a lot of his uh, less efficient post-ups with uh, with those dribble handoffs, um, primarily with Avery Bradley, actually. Uh, shout out to a, a bygone era of Pistons basketball right there. Um, so I like to see um, I like I like to see that the, they've brought that back, uh, incorporating it a bit more with with Griffin's absence because um, so much of their their offense through a decent portion of the year um, really just kind of amounted to uh, giving, giving Blake the ball and saying, go do stuff um, less. So over the last few months, you know, around the time that Kennard got things together, Reggie Jackson um, probably hit like the peak of his health over the last three years. Um, so some, some of these developments 
kind of led to the Pistons incorporating more pick and rolls and taking the ball out of Blake's hands a bit more. So I think that to some degree, the last couple of months have been uh, have been a pretty good preparation, um, you know, for this time with Blake out. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a real shame that it has to be preparation for uh, a pretty vicious four game sweep at the end of the Bucks. But <laughs> you know, you take the hand that you're dealt, right? <laughs> right, right. The Bucks not too long ago, the Bucks were right where the Pistons were. So I definitely know where you're coming from on that one. As as far as the pick and roll, I think that. You know, based on what I saw in the game, the Bucks and Budenholzer, they made an adjustment in the second half, and I felt like that was really one of the keys to, you know, the Pistons had a one-point lead at halftime, and so I felt like Budenholzer's adjustment where what I noticed is the weak side help defender was really tagging a lot more aggressively than in the first half and don't quote me on that because right now what I'm trying to do is just watch the first time through as a fan and then I'll go back with a more critical eye here tonight and rewatch it but that was one thing that I think that I'd notice is the Bucks adjustment at half was to send that or have that tagger really get in front of Drummond more and bump him and not allow either that backside offensive rebound or for the pocket pass um, to be dropped in there off the ball screen so that was one adjustment and then I just don't know if the Pistons were able to really recover from that and I felt like the Pistons were kind of fatigued as well especially at in the fourth quarter at the end of the third quarter you know they aren't maybe necessarily used to running up and down as fast as they were Drummond ended up playing 38 minutes tonight so I I don't know was that something that that you noticed did they seem fatigued to you or do you think it was just them missing some of their shots there that they were making in the first half um or option c some of some of each things i i think that certainly there's going to be some fatigue because the pistons did play a shorter rotation um they only had seven guys play more than 21 minutes um which usually the the rotation is obviously a little bit more extensive um you know as as most are in the regular season um so i think you had some guys who were taking a bit out of their comfort zone plus the pace that the bucks are playing um you know, it is a bit faster than they're typically used to. Um, and, you know, the Bucks are just so dangerous in, in transition that uh, I think that's just additionally fatiguing. Um, you know, they make you run and they're almost impossible to stop when they get out of the break. And that's, you know, that's it's just really a, a kind of a double-edged sword. Um, and they, they just missed a lot of shots all night long. Like, they took a lot of threes, which is good. They need to take a lot of threes in order to kind of uh, increase the variance level, mm-hmm. um, you know, make make this more of a luck game, essentially, you know, because you're not going to outskill them. So just raise the stakes a bit and make it, make it, uh, make it a, a higher variance duel um, that, you know, if, if you get some of those shots to drop, now you got a, an eight-point game late and, and maybe you can make a rush. Uh, but, yeah, they shot, I'm looking at this, the box score here, they shot 37% from the field, 33% from three. Um, you know, I like the fact that they got up 36 threes. I think they had like mid twenties or less last game. I don't remember offhand, but I know that I, I wanted to see more of it. Um, and I think that putting Luke in the starting lineup facilitated that as well. Um, we were talking about the adjustments that, uh, that Casey made from game to game and, uh, breaking up Bruce Brown and Thon Maker, who were two non-shooters and, uh, replacing Brown with Kennard. Um, I, th- I think that facilitated um, kind of a more wide open, free, free wheeling, uh, three point shooting attack, which 
um, you know, you got to get some breaks in order to stick with the Bucks, and that's mm-hmm. probably the spot that you want to get those breaks in if you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just in the Pistons, they had, I forget how many more, but they had a whole bunch more shots than the Bucks did at halftime. They ended up only taking nine more shots, but I think that was one of the keys too, is getting up those threes, getting up shots. And and yeah, I definitely agree with your theory on on those three-point shots and that kind of you know increases the opportunities that they have to you know knock down some of those and upset the Bucks. Um, Andre Drummond was a minus... 32 tonight that was by far the worst um and bruce brown he was a plus four in his 17 minutes so just kind of some random numbers there so drummond has drummond anthon maker have been like public enemy number one in milwaukee you know you hear these boos who who do you think is going to be the public enemy number one when this series transitions to detroit on saturday who are the who's the crowd going to get after it's going to be Giannis, but at the same time like when he dunks like the place is going to it's going to be that like mix of like silent awe and like a lot, a lot of like holy expletive gasps. You know, it, it's it's going to be one of those things where everybody hates him, but everybody is going to just like so excited to watch him play. Um, the the corollary that I've um, I've described when talking about this series in the past is this is basically like 2007 LeBron James taking it over against the Pistons. Um, like that's. I think in a lot of people's eyes, that's sort of where um, he went from like LeBron James to King James. Um, you know, he scored whatever it was, 27 straight points in that final game um, at the Palace. And that's kind of how I see Giannis here. Like, I think that this is probably going to be like the last year where he is not clearly the best player in the NBA for um, many years to come. And, you know, the Pistons get to be part of that. And that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so is he going to be public enemy number one just because he's their best player? Is there something about him that, that irks him? Like with Thon, it was that he, I think it was because partially one, he demanded a trade in the middle of this historic season for the Bucks, And then two, he had that somewhat hard foul. I don't think it was a hard foul, but you know, fans perceived it as a hard foul. And then for Drummond, it was that shoving and that kind of, or that play. So is there something that Giannis has done or is it because he's simply like the face of the franchise for the Bucks right now? Well, I think that it's primarily because he's, he's the face of the franchise. So, you know, everybody's going to know him. Not everybody knows, um, you know, Sterling Brown. Ster- yeah, exactly. You know, um, some people might still think Brook Lopez plays for the Nets, um, you know. Um, so there's the fact that he is the face. He's very recognizable. And honestly, the Bucks are kind of a hard team to hate. You know, they're cool and they're fun and they're they're exciting and they're good. Um, so, you know, it's not easy to find like a Ron Artest on the roster and just like <laughs> boo mercilessly. You know, it's like this is a fun team to watch. Like I am Whenever the whenever the Bucks like get a big lead, I'm like, get Giannis out, like keep him healthy, like you guys have a long run ahead of you, like mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to see him get hurt or anything. So it's it's one of those things where like he is he he's the the face of the enemy, but like as far as enemies go, the Bucks are uh, a pretty fun enemy. <laughs> 
and they're fresh too. You know, they haven't overstayed their welcome. I think that's what happens a lot with superstars and with teams. Is and you know, fans get, people get sick of seeing them all the time, and they get you know, you find that little flaw or whatever. So this is a team that was the seventh seed last year, and and yeah, they're kind of. They don't really, at least from, I know that sometimes like with Harden, people get irked by the way that he plays, the way that he he fouls or flops, you know, different things like that. And just my, I guess, somewhat biased perspective is the Bucks don't really have that player who will flop like that. Sure, they have Giannis who, who I think sometimes irks fans by with his steps or with his, the contact that he initiates, but give it a few more years because that's still somewhat fresh, and I don't think that fans have really started to turn on him yet for that. I think, you know, everyone becomes a villain at some point in their NBA career, and then there's a brand-new, fresh face. But Giannis is that new guy right now, and so, yeah. But I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing how the Detroit crowd reacts. I love comparing, you know, crowd reactions and crowd noise levels and things like that, and so it'll be interesting. Um, so as this series turns to Detroit, is Blake Griffin going to play, do you think? Or is are the Pistons just messing with everyone? I saw Frank Madden, who is one of, um, I'm sure you know who he is. He's called oh, the yeah. blog father. And so I saw him tweet that he felt, or I don't know if he felt, a theory that he was throwing out there was Pistons were trying to maybe like sell some tickets for game three and four by kind of hanging out, you know, their big fish or the, their big lure out there saying, Blake Griffin might play, like, you know. So do you think that he will play or do you think that, He's done for the series. Um, I think that if there is a game that he would play, it will be game three. Um, I think that if he doesn't play game three, the Pistons are definitely going to lose that game. And then there's really no point in putting him in, in game four. Um, so I think it all comes down to, to game three. Um, you know, I'm not privy to any information as to like whether they're trying to play some box office games. I don't know what the, the sales figures look like. I, I haven't even looked at StubHub to see what uh, what prices look like and if there's, uh, you know, 12,000 seats that are being, like, trying. people are trying to move them right now. Or, so I don't really know the situation there. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's it definitely reasonable. Um, I do believe that Blake is, like, at a point where he is pushing to get back into mm-hmm. the but the medical staff is hesitant to allow it. Um, so I'm choosing to believe that. I'm choosing to believe it's not some sort of marketing stunt. Um, but, you know, it, it could even be both. Who knows? Yeah, and I guess I would lean more toward it being like a, a ploy, like a game within the game type thing. Like they're just trying to give the Bucks something to, because then the Bucks have to at least somewhat acknowledge a game plan around Blake Griffin, right? And the Pistons offense and defense are going to be completely different whether Griffin's in the lineup or not. And so I guess that's kind of more how I see it is it's them just giving the Bucks something else to think about and to game plan for. Um, so yeah. I guess that's just my thought in that. And, and if, I mean, if he, Knees are scary, especially when you have someone with a knee history like Blake Griffin. And so I wouldn't mess with it if I were the Pistons. Like if he's not, if he's experiencing discomfort or pain or anything like that, like if I were them, I would just, and this is easy for me to say on the other end of the aisle or whatever, but I would just, you know, take my licks and go on with it. At this point, it's even with him in the series, realistically, they would probably win one game, maybe best case, top of the mountain for them 
win two games in this series with Blake Griffin in there. So, I mean, if they want to, they owe him a lot of money still coming up. And so for me, that makes sense is just to play it safe. And if he's not ready to go, there's no need to rush or force him out there, even though I know he wants to play. Yeah, exactly. Like I would, I'd love to see him play. I'd love to see him, you know, get to, to play in this playoff that he, he earned. That's true. Uh, that's true. You know, and, but at the same time, like I also see this as a team thing, you know, like, uh, he kind of carried them to the end and then they managed to stagger across the finish line. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't pretty, but like they earned this as a team. And mm-hmm. now if nothing else, like, you know, they're there and he, he knows that he was a part of it. Um, and yeah, I definitely agree that, um, you know, if there's any risk, any potential for their injury, just sit the man, just, just keep him out. Like there are, three more very expensive years after this one um, on on Blake's contract. And, you know, you want him as as strong and as uh, physically capable as possible um, going forward. You, you don't want to, you don't want to have something catastrophic happen in, uh, you know, game four down 37 points at home or anything like that. Right. Right. And, and he's got to be careful. I mean, if the Pistons go on a deep playoff run here, he's only a couple of technicals away from missing a game at this point. Yeah, he's got two texts and uh, no games played so far. I think he's the playoff leader right now. Uh, yeah, he's probably tied with Kevin Durant and Beverly, right? Uh, was that a double tech or did they just get... I thought they each got two. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I feel like maybe Russ has two texts too. I'm I not sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Just seems like he probably would. <laughs> he just starts out with two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what are your predictions for the rest of this Bucks Pistons series? Um, it's not going to be close. Um, I don't think that we're going to get a gentleman's sweep. I think the Bucks, like you said, they're fresh, um, so they're new to this. They haven't been around so often that they, um, you know, they're not the the Warriors who are literally tired of winning championships to the point where they'll um, they'll give up a thirty-one point lead in seventeen minutes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, like with with very few exceptions, like basically uh, like portions of probably the, the second half of the second quarter, um, the Bucks didn't really have any let up in them, and you know they could have coasted. They know they're a whole lot better than this Pistons team, um, so I don't think that the Bucks are going to give the Pistons any room for breathing. Uh, I don't I don't think that they're going to let off the gas and let them have one at home or anything like that and try and win it back in Milwaukee in Game Five. I I think that. Um, I think the Bucks are on a mission, and I think that there's really nothing the Pistons can do about it. Not this season. Okay, so Bucks in four. Bucks in four. All right. So if the Bucks do move on, then what are your predictions for them for the rest of the playoffs? How far do you see them going? Uh, they're my Eastern Conference Finals representative. Okay, so you got them going all the way to the NBA Finals. Yep. And then losing to. Uh, if the Warriors make it, which I assume they'll lose the Warriors, I think the Rockets and Bucks would be a really, really fun series. Okay. Um, I don't think that's the series we're going to get, but I, I think that would be a fun series. So I, my my prediction is Warriors over Bucks. In how many games? Probably five. Oh, you think that's Five fun, interesting games. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can dig that. I can dig that. Well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it, Duncan. I really, you know, you bring a lot to the table. You've been around the Pistons for a long time now, and so we appreciate your insight. Is there anything you want to plug here at the end? 
Um, well, I just wrote a piece for uh, Forbes that is currently pinned to my Twitter profile. So uh, it is on the Pistons. It is on uh, the current state of their, uh, their their mediocre situation, being 41 and 41 with uh, many millions over the salary cap. How they got there, possible pass out of it. Um, that it's the the piece that I'm uh, most pleased with right now. And uh, so, yeah, if, if people want to read my. Uh, my Forbes piece, it's on my Twitter profile. Awesome. So go there to check it out. You can find him on Twitter at Duncan Smith MBA once again. So make sure to check that out. Duncan, we appreciate you. Thanks for hopping on. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope you had a good time and hope you're a little bit smarter because of it. I'll be dropping an article on Bruhu probably the same day that you listen to this podcast, breaking down the adjustments that Mike Budenholzer made in his defense in in his pick and roll defense specifically. So make sure to check this podcast out on Brew Hoop and that article out on Brew Hoop. You can also catch this podcast. Obviously, you know if you're listening to it on iTunes, Spotify, etc. And finally, you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Bucks fans. (laughs)